0: My name is David, I'm one of the pastors here, I'm actually the worship pastor here. Um, and, and you know this isn't my first time preaching, but this is my first time preaching here, and I think that's a big thing, you know? So um, I've only been in this position for just over a year now, so still fairly new. So a long time ago, Alvin asked if I wanted to preach this summer, and I'll admit, like, you know, I probably wanted to say no at the time. Um, that's what my brain told me, but or that's what my brain said, but my mouth actually said, "You know, I'll think about it." Um, and so I, I did do that. I did think about it. I, I fulfilled that promise at least. And <laughs> as I was thinking about it, as I was um, thinking about possibly preaching this summer, I, you know, I realized that just like every one of you here, I have a story, and my story is unique to me. No one else has lived the life of David Stoffer. Um, and I've sometimes been in crowds, like at a mall or even just walking down a street sometimes, and I see people and I think, that person has a story, that they have a whole life, a whole history of experience behind them. And it's kind of a, an interesting concept, but it's like this reality that we all have lived a life up to where we're at and we all have experiences and a story. Um, and so if God can use my story to speak to you today, to edify the church, then who am I to get in the way of that? Um, and so that's sort of my journey to standing here right now. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I wanted to preach on something that is tied to my story, um, something that hopefully you guys can connect with and maybe get to know me a little bit more just because I am still fairly new here. Um, and, you know, it's something that for me has been this ongoing struggle in my life, something that I've battled with pretty much my whole life, even now. I still work through this, this issue. And it's something that for many, it can be debilitating in life. It can hold us back from, from so many good things, from life, from the fullness of life that God wants for us. It can hold us back from contentment in our jobs, in our lives, in ourselves. And it's actually the thing that, when Alvin asked if I wanted to preach this summer, it's the thing that really made me want to say no, and that subject is insecurity. Um, yeah, you know, as I was preparing for this subject... Um, to preach on this subject, I kind of was doing a little bit of research into insecurity and I came across a couple quotes and one of these quotes from, was from someone I never thought I would quote in a sermon, um, but it's from the singer Madonna. Uh, so here we go, we're gonna quote Madonna this morning. <laughs> so she says this, she says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will." And you know, when I came across this quote, I found this extremely sad, because the resolution of her struggle is that it just never will end. You know? And I think, for her, this mentality is saying, you're only as good as your next success. Her inner voice is telling her, you know, even though you've become somebody, you still have to keep proving that, otherwise, you will be seen as mediocre or inadequate. And I think for a lot of us, though, this is sort of a a common struggle, this inner voice that tells us lies about ourselves. You know, I think when we talk about insecurity, generally people think of image insecurity. We we tell ourselves lies about who we are, what we look like. Like, you you know, your your inner voice may say, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I have a weird nose. I've thought that one. You know, but I think insecurity hits a lot of other aspects of our life. I think it's not just about our image, it can be impacting our life and our jobs. We can feel insecure in our workplace. Um, You know, the title of this sermon is Identity Crisis, and often people face identity crises when they all of a sudden realize, 20 years into a job, why am I in this line of work? We realize, what called me into this in the first place? I'm not happy in this anymore. There's no contentment and joy in this anymore. I think another area that we can feel insecure in is in our relationships with one another. We may feel like it's hard to be vulnerable with one another or to trust people. You know, for me, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I, um, I stole that term from TJ, but yeah, yeah, you're here. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm a recovering perfectionist. When I was a kid, I would practice the skill for hours and hours and hours and hours by myself until I thought I was good enough to do that thing in front of other people. And that showed up in piano lessons, that showed up in video games, which is a silly thing, because I would literally go to a friend's house and I'd sit there and they'd watch them play Super Smash Bros., if you're here and you know that game. Um, And they'd ask me, hey, you want to come join us? And I'd be like, no, I'm okay just to watch, because I was afraid that I was going to fail in front of them and that was going to taint their image of me, their opinion of me. I was afraid of failure. And as silly of an example that is, you know, you can imagine having that fear of failure in your life can show up in silly ways, but it also can show up in extremely debilitating ways and can hold you back from so many good things. And I don't know about you, but maybe you relate to that fear of failure. Maybe there's a fear of how others are going to perceive you, Maybe you related more when I talked about insecurities in your job or in a relationship. You know, insecurities can rise in so many areas of our lives. So, my question then is how do you find freedom from insecurity? I think that's something that our hearts desire, right? We want to be free from insecurity. And I think a helpful place to start answering this question is to understand what insecurity is. And in my preparing for this message, I've kind of changed a little bit in how I've perceived insecurity because I always imagined it as something that was just inherently bad, and I've come to realize that insecurity is actually less of, it's actually a warning. I think God designed designed insecurity insecurity as a warning. It warns us of a threat and encourages us to seek protection because warning is really just the, the outworking of something else that's wrong in our life. Insecurity isn't the problem, it's, it's just warning us of the problem. Because I think there are certain things in our life that are actually meant to make us feel insecure. You know, you walk up to this old, decrepit building and you've got this appointment with someone on the fifth floor, and you walk in and there's no way up there except for this old, rickety elevator. I think you should probably feel a little insecure to get on that elevator, unsafe. This elevator is not secure. And there's this warning of a threat, and it motivates you to seek protection. And I know that you're probably thinking, well, David, that's not, when I think of insecurity, that's not what I feel. I don't talk about these practical scenarios. I'm thinking more of these fears in my life that are so recurrent that they become a state of being. They become embedded with who I am. And I think, though, that if that's the insecurity we're talking about, it still begs the question, what is the threat? What's the threat that you feel? And I think the threat is this. The threat is that our identity is under attack. It, insecurity is the result of an identity crisis. You know, our identity is the core of who we understand ourselves to be, and when we feel that who we understand ourselves to be is threatened or attacked, we begin to feel insecure. You know, I gave that example of playing video games with my friends, and, Another example from my life is when I was in Campbell River, where I was born and grew up, I was really heavily into soccer, and I loved playing soccer. I, I, was, uh, I, was, I thought I was pretty good at it. Like, I scored lots of goals pretty much every game, and I felt like I was a valuable member of the team. I added positive contribution to our games. It gave me value and meaning and purpose. Now, fast forward a few years, and now I'm living in Surrey, BC, lower mainland area. It's all of a sudden now a huge, diverse city. And my parents thought it'd be good to put me in soccer again because that's how I was going to connect with some people in our new hometown. And I immediately realized that I am terrible at soccer. (laughs) Because the difference between a small town in Vancouver Island and this multi-ethnic, diverse city, there's a lot of talent there. And all of a sudden I realized I'm not good at this. And it actually was really really bad for me. Like I felt, I I came to my first soccer game and I was in the car with my dad, just in the parking lot, and I did not want to get out of the car. I had a full-blown meltdown, to be honest, and I never got out of the car, I never joined the game. I just quit right then and there because I didn't want to expose my failure to my team. I didn't want to expose my failure to all the spectators, to myself even. I was afraid of my identity being attacked and, you know, my identity was already wrapped up in, this, um, in, this, in being a good soccer player, but more than that, it was, it was wrapped up in being valued as a person. Um, and I, didn't want, I hated the idea of not being valued, even if it meant not being valued on a, on a soccer team. And, you know, I've talked about the threat that we feel as our identity is being attacked. The protection that we often find is avoidance. I mean, that's exactly what I did in the car. I never got out of the car just left, I quit soccer, gave up because I didn't want to expose myself to people or situations that would bring up insecurity for me. And I think another way we often avoid is by seeking affirmation in other things by other people. Another way we avoid is turning to other things, often addictive things, to dull the pain or to fantasize away our fears. And I think, though, that the answer to finding freedom from insecurity isn't in this protection piece. I think we have to go back to the threat and understand, you know, what is this threat, and how do I minimize that threat? Because the threat is that our identity is being attacked, so the question is then, where do you find your sense of identity? And I think that the way you answer that question is really the pivotal point in determining whether you will ever find freedom from insecurity. And, you know, it might come as a surprise to you, but I actually know where you find your identity. I don't know where each individual person finds their specific source of identity, but I know that we always find our identity in the person or thing that we believe has the greatest power to determine who we are, why we're here, what we're worth, and what we should do. Another way of saying this is we always find our identity in our God. And I, if, you're a, if you're not a believer here and you hear this word God, you might be thinking, well, I don't have a God. I don't worship a God. But I think by that definition that I just gave, the thing that has the greatest power in our life to determine why we're here, what we should do, we're, what we're worth, I think by that example, we all have a God in our lives. Maybe multiple gods. Whether that's a relationship, maybe that's money, maybe that's career success, maybe that's, your image. There's always something or someone that is our God and that is defining our identity. And, you know, the the thing that I've come to realize, though, about insecurity is that while it's a warning, it's also revealing to us something about our God, right? It's revealing that our identity is under attack. And because of that, it's saying something about our God. It's revealing who or what our God is. And by that, Definition, I think we can kind of come to understand insecurity is actually a mercy of God and an invitation of God to stop believing the false lies of these, I guess false lies is an oxymoron, the falseness or the lies of these false gods, um, and instead turn to the truth, turn to Christ, turn to Scripture. And I think, though, when I asked you that question, where do you find your sense of identity, I think most of us in the room here are probably Christians who know the answer to that question. We know where we should find our sense of identity. It's your typical Sunday school answer. Jesus. We should find our identity in Christ. And in fact, Scripture affirms this over and over and over that as Christians, Galatians two twenty says, "It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." Colossians three three, "You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God." Ephesians two six, "God raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." You know, our identity is in Christ, and yet there's still this pull, this these feelings of insecurity, of inadequacy, that are a result of things in our life that we aren't giving over to Christ, gods in our life that. We're giving too much precedence, too much priority in our lives. And I think this is a a struggle that is well known. It's not like you are unique in your struggle. I think Paul actually wrestles through this himself in the book of Romans. He says this, this pretty famous line where he's like, I know the good that I want to do, but I keep doing that thing that I don't want to do. And he says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. We still this, feel this pull from the law of sin at work in us, this pull to find in other gods our source of hope, our source of peace, of security. And inevitably, though, when these false gods are, uh, when we fall short of these, the standards of these gods, we are left exposed with no, th- no protection to this threat of our identity being attacked. And so this insecurity is actually just a warning. It's a warning that there's an ident- our identity is under attack and it motivates us to seek protection, but it's also an invitation to escape these false lies from these false gods in our lives. And so I want to come back to this question, though, How You find freedom from insecurity. You know, we know the truth that is in Jesus. We know that in Him we can find life and freedom. We know that our sense of identity should be found in Him, and yet we still feel this pull, this draw to find our hope in other gods. And I think in that passage I was reading in Romans 7, it kind of hints a little bit at what's going on here. There's this battle, it says, where the law of sin is waging war over the law of our minds. And I think that's an important thing to dwell on, is this battle over our minds. Because I think our minds actually have huge power in determining who we are. Um, You know, I want to tell you a little bit of my story, and it kind of relates to this, what I've learned actually about the power of the mind. You know, when I was in middle school, if you've heard me tell my testimony before, you've heard this, But when I was in middle school, that's funny, I just stuttered because I literally, that's what I was going to say, I developed a stutter in middle school. Um, And it was something that, you know, as a middle schooler, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was something I was a little self-conscious of, but it really got worse and worse as I got into high school and started being a lot more self-conscious. And, you know, as I've journeyed with this stutter, I've had tons of questions about, you know, why did it start? What causes it to flare up? How does it compare to other people's stutters? Because I've met lots of people who have it way worse than I do, and they've maybe been born with it, whereas for me it just developed later on in life. I have so many questions. And the one thing, though, that I've learned throughout this journey was actually I learned it when I was in speech therapy in high school. I only did like a week or two in speech therapy. It wasn't very long because it was actually pretty demeaning because it was geared towards kids. I still learned something incredibly valuable in, the, in that time. And what I learned was my, my therapist said, You need to stop saying, I am a stutterer. What you need to start saying is, I have a stutter. And it was such a subtle shift, this shift from saying, I am a stutterer, to, I have a stutter. And it, it really was this point of disassociating my identity from my stutter. Because the way that we think about ourselves shapes who we become. If I continue to think of myself as a stutterer, I will continue to live as a stutterer, and then there's no progress being made against that. You've heard Alvin say it before, you are what you think. Uh, I love that phrase, it's just it's catchy, um, and it's so true too. This idea that our minds actually have this incredible influence over who we become. Um, and so, I've, as I've said before, Christ, as Christians, we know where our identity should be found, yet we still feel this pull to set up gods in our lives where we, where we want to find our identity, where we want to find security and peace and hope and meaning. And so I want to actually spend just the last few minutes of my time here in a passage in Ephesians. Um, you can start turning there now if you want. It's Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. But... Before I start reading that, I just want to say this about this. Um, You know, I've talked about insecurity because that's something I've gone through and I continue to work through. Um, But this passage doesn't talk about insecurity in particular. This is talking about this transition from death to life. And part of this life is a life of freedom, a life of freedom from insecurity, a life that God has designed and called us to a life that is full and rich. And so let's read this together, and I want you to pay attention. I've highlighted it for you, so it's really obvious, but pay attention to all the words in this passage that have to do with our minds and our thinking, our understanding. So let's read this together. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, And you are taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, I highlighted it for you, but did you catch that? Like, There's a lot going on here about our understanding and our minds, and in fact, A big part of this passage is this idea of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And sandwiched between that process, though, is this this process, this process of being made new in the attitude of your minds. And so it begs the question, then, how are our minds renewed? How do we have our minds renewed? How can we move closer to living in Christ and finding our sense of identity in Him? And to answer this, we do have to look a little bit elsewhere, but um, you know, this first point is uh, a really important one, because even in my phrasing of that question, how are our minds made new, it kind of implies that, that we can try to do something to do it, but in reality, the first point is this. In Titus 3, 5, it says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This process of renewal, there's nothing we can do to change the attitude of our minds. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that we can have our minds renewed to see things as God sees them. So that's the first step and an important one. And the second one is this, to look at truth. As we were reading in that passage, it talks about the Gentiles, and and it says, don't be like the Gentiles. It says, because they were futile in their thinking, they were darkened in their understanding. But Paul goes on to say, but that's not the way you learned when you were taught about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You know, the the Gentiles, their minds were separated from the truth. They didn't know the truth, They, they were darkened in their understanding. But it says, you were taught, you've heard about Christ, you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And so let's fix our minds on that. Let's fix our minds on truth. Look at truth. And not just subjective truth. I need to clarify that because I know in our culture today, we often think of truth as this subjective term, that what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. And I want to just say, you know, this is universal truth. This truth that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That in him we are now sons and daughters of God brought into his household as co-heirs with Christ. And you know, an obvious application to this point of looking at truth is to read scripture. And I think that's extremely important. Spending time daily in the word, looking at truth, reminding ourselves of truth, is incredibly effective in renewing our minds to see things as God sees them. But I think another less obvious, but equally important application of this is to surround ourselves with people who can point us to truth. Because I don't think Christianity is meant to be this solo mission where we just go about it on our own, we just figure out life on our own. As much as it is this personal relationship between you and God, I think it's also a communal thing that we do together, that we support each other, that we you know, Scripture says iron sharpens iron. It's, it's an incredibly important part of this. And so just being here today is, is a step in the right direction, but even more than that, I encourage you to get connected with one another. Don't just let Sunday morning be the time that you have community with fellow believers, but let's be in community. Let's sharpen each other. Let's point each other to truth. And the third step is to pray. And, you know, in earlier in that passage in Ephesians or in that letter to the Ephesians, Paul prays for the church in Ephesus and it kind of gives us a clue into what we ought to be praying for as we want to have our minds renewed. And he says this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now this phrase, pray that the eyes of the heart may be enlightened, it's kind of a little cryptic to understand, but I, I think it's in some ways actually a little simple, like we just are praying that we begin seeing things in a new way, seeing things as the way God sees them, that our, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to see the truth and to know our true hope and, not, and, and in that way also expose these false hopes that we have put in our lives we pray that the eyes of our heart would be opened to have a new attitude of our mind one that isn't arrogant or pushing God away because of the hardness of our hearts but rather inviting and welcoming the Holy Spirit and the truth that is in Jesus into the shaping of our minds so that the deceit of these false hopes, these false gods that want to shape our identity, those are destroyed and rather the truth of our identity in Christ is built up. You know, the, the renewal of the mind is this ongoing thing. It's not like you, you just take one step and you're there. Um, and it's something that we do as we um, put off the old self, one that is futile in its thinking, darkened in its understanding. We put on the new self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And You know, for me, insecurities have held the reins on my life for a long time. I was thinking before I came here this morning that, um, you know, you guys only know me from two years ago when I moved to Three Hills. So there's some history that's kind of like blocked. You don't, you're not, you don't have access to that history of me. Um, and if I was to preach this message in my other church, <laughs> it would, it would, I feel like it would hit different because they would have seen me when I was as insecure as I was. And honestly, like being here, like literally standing here right now, Is a work of God in my life because I I would never have imagined that I would be here. Even playing guitar, singing, it's the same thing. I I wouldn't be on a stage. That's not who I was, or at least that's not who I felt I was. That's not the identity that I saw myself as. Um, But, you know, I've come to realize that these insecurities are actually products of false gods in my life that have held these reins, actually. It's not the insecurity that's held in the reins. It's these false gods in my life that I've put too much hope, too much purpose and meaning and value in. Um, but you know, God calls us to stop avoiding insecurity, but rather expose it, look at it, see what God's in your life it's showing you. And even if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I don't, I don't relate to this feeling of insecurity. I think there might be some of you here who think that. Um, and I just I want to make this point clear because insecurity is actually the result of when your identity is attacked, when you go through an identity crisis. But rather than wait till that point, rather, rather than wait till you're in this crisis, how about we think about the gods in our life now, the things that we're finding our hope, our purpose, our meaning, our value in. And let's expose that today and avoid these identity crises that we go through. Um, And so if you're here and you're feeling this nudging like there is something in your life that that you've put too much of your hope in, um, I just wanna encourage you to take these steps. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Look at truth, look at the truth that's in Jesus. Read scripture, surround yourself with people who can point you to truth. And to pray that the eyes of your hearts are open to see the false gods in your life and, rather, see the true hope to which you have been called, and allow that to shape your mind and to shape your identity. You know, this is the only way to find freedom. I think it goes without saying, but don't be like Madonna. (laughs) Um, Yeah, don't be like Madonna, who just accepts that life is going to be this endless struggle against feelings of inadequacy or against feelings of insecurity but rather turn to Jesus, who offers abundance of life, fullness of life. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I wanna pray for us this morning. Um, I'm gonna pray a written prayer. Um, I came across this prayer in my devotions a few weeks ago, and as I was reading this prayer, I was like, this fits so well with what I'm wanting to preach about, I have to just pray this over us today. Um, And it's a prayer of surrender, a prayer that we fix our eyes on Jesus and we let go of the things in our life that we may be clutching onto. Um, and so I want to pray this, and if you want to, um, in your hearts, just you know, pray that along with me. Um, I think that would be really cool. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us keep our eyes on you. You are the incarnation of divine love. You are the expression of God's infinite compassion. You are the visible manifestation of the Father's holiness. You are beauty, goodness, gentleness, forgiveness, and mercy. In you, all can be found. Outside of you, nothing can be found. So why should we look elsewhere or go elsewhere? You have the words of eternal life. You are food and drink. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the light that shines in the darkness, the lamp on the lampstand, the house on the hilltop. You are the perfect icon of God. In and through you, we can see and find our way to the Heavenly Father. O Holy One, Beautiful One, Glorious One, be our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Guide, our Counselor, our Comforter, our Hope, our Joy, and our Peace. To you, we want to give all that we are. Let us be generous, not stingy or hesitant. Let us give you all. All that we have, think, do, and feel. It is yours, O oh Lord. Please accept it and make it fully your own. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.